Saludos and salutations, Broncos country, and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I'm your host, Adam Diaz, and joining me as always to my right is my co-host at Richie Richie. Richie, how you doing tonight, my friend? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Richie. Still trying to get the uh, old Christmas shopping done before the holidays kick off. So, you know, halfway done. Can't complain, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyways, guys, welcome in to another. We got a lot of uh, stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, but before we get things started, guys, we just want to remind you that if this is your very first time watching Broncos Talk or any one of our great shows here on the MHRT Network, we would like to welcome you in and to remind you to please hit that like button and subscribe wherever it is on social media that you're watching us from so we can get the word out. And just to remind you guys, every single Tuesday, Broncos Talk goes live at 7654. Every single Thursday, the flagship show, the MHRT Podcast, goes live on Thursdays at 7654. On Fridays, we also have the Nothing Rhymes With podcast at the same time, which we will have a very special announcement about that and that we will talk about towards the end of the show today. And of course, we have the pregame show, which is The Neighborhood, that goes live every just before every single Broncos game. And we're getting very down to the very nitty-gritty, guys, so make sure you don't miss out on the last three uh, pregame shows, because otherwise you're going to have to wait there until next time. So <laughs> until then. But guys... Uh, Let's get just down to business and talk about what it is that brought us all here today. And that's our beloved Denver Broncos. So, uh, Rich, you and I were talking about this before the show. Uh, it, it, it was it, it was a game that was totally it, it was a what did Justin Simmons say, if I'm not mistaken? This is what this was supposed to be a playoff game for the Broncos, especially seeing how close and tight the race for the playoffs is getting. And, you know, while other teams are excelling in that uh <clears throat> In, in that perspective, unfortunately, the Broncos took one giant backflip backwards, Rich. And it's it's starting to go, <laughs> it's starting to kind of go in the direction of, uh, because of the injury that Teddy Bridgewater suffered, that Drew Locke is starting to look like the most likely, most likable starter with Brett Rippon uh, more than likely going to be his backup uh, this Sunday against the Raiders. Rich, your thoughts on the game this past Sunday? Um, I, I think the defense continued to overall play really well. We we held our opponent to uh, a pretty low score uh, in terms of on the defensive side of the ball. And, and yet again, we continued to find ourselves in an offensive uphill battle. And I think as, as much as I think we we're all disappointed where we lost that momentum with that potential second touchdown there for Drew Locke, and and the uh, literally the handoff the handoff fumble there <laughs> near the end, mm -hmm. um, you know the, the, we were not doing well offensively well before that uh, in the early stages of the game, four, five, or six three and outs or or at least uh, a punts rather uh, not necessarily three and outs but punts uh, in the early stages there of the game for the first three quarters there or, or you know two and a, two quarters and change there with uh, Teddy Bridgewater in. So we were already struggling uh, on the offensive side of the ball and Drew Locke came in and, and he started driving us down the field. So, you know, at least some credit where credit's due, where, where Drew certainly did seem to have a, a bit of a spark there on the offense, particularly when he took over early on. Yes, I totally agree with you, Rich. And, you know, I got the exact same feeling as the other two times when we saw uh, Drew Locke come in as the backup, not as the starter. And as the boss Mundung is here says, I'll say it again. Not because of his play, but because of his future health, I think Teddy shouldn't play anymore. And you know what? I kind of have to agree with the boss here, Rich. We're getting down to the last three games of the season. And, you know, everybody in Broncos country really appreciates the time and the effort that Teddy Bridgewater has put, you know, this season. But his health has to come first, you know, especially if he wants that $25 million type of contract next season, even if it's not with Denver. He needs to kind of be it, you know. Obviously, they're gonna they're gonna give him a, a physical wherever he decides to go, and obviously, you need to be not only mentally prepared but also physically. And you know, kind of limping towards the finish line is not really a suitable thing for, for Bridgewater. And we just don't want to see what we saw uh, happen against Cleveland. And it, 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 it's just it's, it's just it's just what it is, Rich. I, I, there's nowhere else to put it. Now, I will also give Drew Locke credit in the fact that 
he was able to do what Bridgewater wasn't, and he was actually throwing the ball past the, you know, not going for the checkdowns, which is something that not only Bridgewater is known to be uh, doing for, but there were a lot of quarterbacks uh, this past week, Rich, that were just going checkdowns instead of going for the third down. And that throw to Tim Patrick is kind of a little dangerous, but, you know, he, Drew Locke knows that if you throw the ball up there, you have tall wide receivers. They have to come down with the ball, which is exactly what Bridge, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tim Patrick did. At the same time, he was also using his tight ends, you know, all the, the very good catches to Albert O. And then I think he had one to Noah Fant, if I'm not mistaken. But two. Yeah, two. So yeah. that wasn't all on him. I still blame, uh, you know, Pat Shermer for not being able to kind of turn the page and putting different plays and playing to Drew Locke's strengths just as much as he was trying to play to Teddy Bridgewater's. So going up against the, you know, round two against the Raiders, uh, unfortunately, uh, Drew Locke is one in one, if I'm not mistaken, or one in two against the Raiders since he became a Bronco. So hopefully he can go out there and get us a win because the Raiders are, they're beat up. They're more than, they're not exactly 100%, and they, they just barely won their game yesterday against the Browns. Right. And um, just to speak to, to Teddy and the comment early that you brought up, um, I actually think that I'm probably more in in uh, Mobad's comment uh, here. I'm kind of more in line with that. Um, and, and I think that's the, the general sentiment uh, from a, quite a number within Broncos country, which is Teddy's had some major, major head injuries this year. Uh, successive too, like in pretty, you know, kind of short uh, intervals between them. I know Fangio said that, you know, that is not proven to matter and that kind of stuff. I mean, I beg to differ a little bit. I mean, head trauma is head trauma. And uh, they do say that rest kind of helps with that type of head trauma a fair amount. And so when you don't have rest between that kind of jolting and jarring of the head and getting those major concussions, I have to imagine that there's some kind of negative impact to the human body. And um, Teddy Bridgewater's just had too many of those things as of late. He's he's hurt himself badly. He's going to end up probably with arthritis in the lower lower legs. I mean, I know I am guaranteed effectively to have uh, arthritis due to my leg injuries in my past. So I can only imagine what he's going to end up with with some of his leg injuries, which were just as bad, if not worse than mine. So, I mean, he's got to think of his life after football. Yeah, you know, it's he, he's made a fair amount of money. He, he runs major risk of CTE at this point. I, I agree, uh, uh, Dave, uh, 100%. And at some point, you need to look at your long term in terms of what you can enjoy of your life with money you've got, help provide for a family if you kind of go that route and live as best as you can for at least a period of time where it can still be a positive thing for you. And, and I think that Teddy really needs to seriously consider that. Yeah, very totally. And, you know, it, it got real. And it kind of reminded me of what happened to uh, Donald Parnum, the tight end from the Chargers. And I, it was a non-contact injury, Rich. And he went down. And I mean, it is just, it, 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 you know, sometimes we forget that it's not always about, you know, wearing helmets and shoulder pads and, you, you know, trying not to injure the person you're tackling. It, it can be something as just you know jumping in the air trying to make a pass you know literally doing what you're paid to do and then you come down with it and, and then something like that happens and but thankfully the nfl had the right personnel and they kept teddy bridgewater in the hospital overnight as uh you know for observation as a precaution and there were no nothing nothing no serious injuries and he was able to be discharged the following day so that that's good to hear uh here with uh, with the broncos but I do agree, Rich. Right now, as much as I'm still a fan, I, I'm still oh, I crossing like my fingers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still crossing my fingers for playoffs, but I don't want anybody on this Broncos team, whether I like them or not, to put their health and their future on the line for uh, a, you know, for a, a shot at, at going to the playoffs. Where my comments specifically come from as it pertains to that sort of stuff is um i've been fortunate enough i've only had two concussions maybe three concussions in my life um and, and you know i played some pretty violent sports so uh the fact that i've had so few is uh, you know speaks volumes for genetics in my opinion that, that i just haven't had kind of that jarring head injury that's caused major damage or anything but until they come up with a test while you're still alive that doesn't involve them slicing your head open and looking at your brain um, and I'm saying that jokingly, but I'm being dead serious, right? The only way that they really have any real idea as to 
how severe that head trauma actually is, is, is basically once you pass, they then examine you. And, and they really need to start getting better at being able to assess brain trauma and that kind of head trauma in the contact sports. Um, it's important. And uh, no, if it was a small brain, you'd think I'd actually have more concussions because there'd be more rattling of, of I have such a big head and such a little brain. So it's probably the exact opposite. I have a big brain and uh, less rattling. But um, the, the, the problem with the problem of CTE and just general concussions is just that there's so little. We know a lot more in terms of how to deal with them after the fact now in terms of getting guys recovered and kind of back to normal. Mm -hmm. the, the, the issue, though, is what happens during you need to know the during bit you need to know what happens kind of in their life and how you can assess how you can address and more importantly you know you keep on saying like there's certain guys that they end up dying um and they do a, a brain assessment and you hear about some guys and you're saying you mean to tell me he didn't have cte <laughs> and then you hear from other guys where you're saying like you know his brain was like swiss cheese we need to have better assessment message uh, methods while they're alive uh, while players are alive so that certain players can can be given the appropriate information while they're with us and can make certain decisions accordingly and other and other players may it may appear that they should be worse off but they're not uh very well agreed but uh you know let's kind of get geared towards back the uh, uh game against the the Bengals here rich and this was a game that was so close. The the Broncos defense played this game so close, Rich. And you know, unlike most unlike most of the teams that the Bengals faced all season, I'd like to think that the Broncos defense gave them a run for their money. And the Broncos defense played a really good game for most of it, except for that touchdown play where it looked like there was a miscommunication or a breakdown in coverage. And uh, if you go, if you guys do that. If you guys go back and watch that play, it just came down to one-on-one. -on -one. It was Justin Simmons and the wide receiver. And yep. unfortunately, the way I saw that play, Rich, Justin Simmons couldn't get there in time to try to figure out. And the wide receiver had a lot of open room, so he didn't try to do anything fancy. He just kind of sidestepped past uh, Justin Simmons. And unfortunately, he got the best out of him. And, you know, he was able to go in, go in for, for, the, uh, for the touchdown. But we have to remember, guys, that the Broncos went into this game without their starting uh, safeties. Kareem Jackson didn't play, and Caden Stearns, I'm not sure if he actually saw the field. Uh, okay, he, did. he was inactive. inactive. Thank you. So the, the Broncos, just before the game, had to pick up uh, a safety, and they had to drop Isang Bassey, which was a surprise to some of our uh, members in our, in our group chat because... I guess they didn't hear that that, that happened up, in, up until like a day or so ago when they saw the, the, the Broncos report. So the Broncos were playing with backup safeties uh, alongside Justin Simmons. So that part was hurting. But even so, Rich, the Broncos defense, did they while they did bend, they didn't break. And they made Joe Burrow's day not very easy in Denver. Unfortunately, the offense couldn't keep us, keep up with yeah, on that On that Simmons play, um, they they lined up as a run and uh and so the, the broncos played it like a run you saw everyone kind of start crowding that line of scrimmage you saw browning and uh, uh griffith all all kind of start kind of stacking and crowding the box there and whatnot and unfortunately uh for the broncos just as the ball was handed off to the wide receiver there you had both linebackers hug closer to the rest of the defensive line which then allowed the that kind of loop around and by that time browning couldn't spin around he was the, you know the guy was long gone and uh what actually happened with with simmons there and, and again this is super unfortunate because you have a literally a 50 50 shot of, of effectively guessing it right mm -hmm. and simmons, uh simmons uh, did make one small error he somewhat over pursued um on the going right as in uh so from uh from when you're watching from the, the game film as a as a fan um simmons plays on the right hand side of your screen but to him that's the left hand side of the field <laughs> and so what happened was he ran over to our left as fans and he just slightly overbit a little bit on the left hand side where he kind of took an extra step and that allowed the receiver to step in and stop Simmons from being able to square himself back up and getting over. Honestly, given the play, that's a super minor little tweak. 
And when you're one-on-one, you literally have a 50-50 shot of being able to square yourself up against that. And there's not a ton you can do in that play. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the Broncos defense, as great as they, they are on paper and as great as they can be on the field, sooner or later, when they're out on the field that much amount of time, there's going to be a play where the opposing offense is going to say, you know, 100%. this is, yeah, we got them right here. Take advantage of it. And unfortunately, that was it. But in, in retrospect, on the other hand, it was only just one. So we're lucky to be able to sit here and say, Rich, it was just one because there have been teams that have given up even more to a to a team like the Bengals. And uh, our good friend Johnny Baki here, Rich, says game was a must win, but the Broncos apparently forgot that. Our chances of making the playoffs, even if we see the remainder in the single, are in the single digits percentage-wise. And unfortunately, Rich, Johnny's right. I mean, we could win our next three games against the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs, but now we need more help than we did before in terms of kind of just squeezing in to get a, uh, a, a wild card spot. I'm not sure that's 100% true. Because... I mean, because all three games left in our schedule are our division. divi- divisional opponents. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if we were to win out, I'm not sure that the winning percentages is still in the single digits. If I'm not mistaken, where Johnny is 100% correct on that is the odds of the Broncos winning out and making the playoffs are in the single digit percentages. But I do not believe that if the Broncos win out, that our playoff percentage is, uh, percentage is in fact in the single digits. I think that's kind of a we'll call it a nuanced distinction in terms of the percentages. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think it's an important one to make. Yeah, and EJ here with a very good point here, Rich. And this is what you and I were talking about just before we went live. Uh, Locke made a bonehead play on that RPO and cost us the game. He should have just given the ball to Pookie. Now, this is a play that I've seen. Uh, like there's usually one play almost every single week, Rich, and I feel like it's almost a segment on the show because I always say the same damn thing. But I kept watching it, and the thing about RPOs is the defense has to kind of you know pick one. It's either the running back or the the quarterback running with the ball, or it's a sneak and the quarterback you know runs out to, to throw the ball. It's one of three. Now Drew Locke isn't the he's no Lamar Jackson, and he's not the best RPO type of quarterback. So to me. This play kind of looked like it was his very first time doing it. And when you watch it back, you can kind of tell because when and you would figure that this would be, you know, football 101. If you're going to run with the ball, you kind of want to put the ball on your opposite hand if you're going to stiff arm and make sure it's secure. When Drew Locke was running with the ball, it kind of looked like I don't know if he was trying to shift the ball or what he was trying to do, but he didn't secure it tightly. And the the defensive player just kind of threw his hand in there and, you know, just knocked it out of out of out of uh, for a fumble and to me that is like probably the most irritating thing because when i play madden it's the exact same thing it's like if if i even slide the wrong way my quarterback fumbles the ball or if i dive don't ever dive in madden because every single dive fumbles the ball and it's always a turnover every time so uh so my madden players out there but anyways I, I i criticize a lot of drew Locke's turnovers uh since last year and this year and this is just kind of one where it's kind of uh, like I want to pick at him for not, you know, ball security has always been a big issue for him, Rich. But it's kind of like uh, you probably should have handed off the ball to somebody that, you know, knows how to run and, and you know, play a lot more safer with the ball. But if if the Broncos were in a situation where they needed it, you know, that's it's a risk, kind of like when you go for it on fourth down and it's an incompletion. For Drew Locke, the R and the P should be capitalized and the O should be lowercase. Um, and um, he's he's just, like you said, he is not necessarily that that guy. He, he's, in my opinion, he's not even as quick as a guy like Joe Burrow. Um, and, and in fact, when you saw from Joe Burrow in, in that game, even the, um, I think it was uh, Davis, uh, Char- Charles Davis, I think, the, the announcer, mm-hmm. made, made a, a pretty good observation there where Joe Burrow diagnosed that defense super fast for the Broncos when we left that middle of the field wide open. And as soon as he let just that split second go, he was gone. And and that was really, that's the type of uh, processing speed that you need in order to run plays like that, where you're going to tuck it and go. Uh, you're, I think you're also 100% correct. 
In my opinion, what Locke was trying to do is he realized that he made a mistake. Clearly, when you see like a 300-pound dude in front of you, you've made a mistake um, <laughs> in, a, in an RPO. Um, because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read that defensive end who's on the outside there or the outside backer who's on the edge. And when you're about to hand it off, if they bite inside, then as the quarterback, you're supposed to tuck it and run to the outside. Mm-hmm. If the guy holds still and doesn't move or even bites up, you're supposed to hand that ball off to the uh, to the running back for the, for the run option. Or if you see an open guy down the field, you kind of tuck it back, boot out, and, and, and throw the ball. Either way, um, Locke made literally the worst of the three options, and he, and he went with that one instead. And he ran into the outside backer defensive end there. So uh, what he was trying to do was he realized that he had a ball, he had the ball in his right hand, his throwing arm, and he was, in my opinion, trying to transfer it to his left outside arm and then stiff arm him with the right one, and instead the end cut in front as he was trying to make the handoff, and really, yeah, and and took it, and um, let's just say uh, Locke needs some work on on that particular move, um, but um, I, I think that before we we crucify Locke for that one play. I, I do think we need to go back to the earlier stages of the game in terms of how we got to where that play was so critical for us. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was five or six plays in a row or close to in a row, or it was like four out of five or, or five out of six play, uh, series rather in a row where we punted the ball. Mm-hmm. And that really at the end of the day meant more to our game than Drew's fumble there. Although from, you know, hindsight being 2020 Broncos fans looking back on that, see that Drew Locke play as, you know, the biggest issue. But if you truly look at the other offensive plays and the offensive drives, the real issue was the fact that we had five or six offensive drives before that, where we punted the ball away rather than getting points on the board. And that, that, that really needs to be discussed in my opinion, um, a little bit more. And I'm, I'm finding a lot of Broncos country is not bringing that up when they should. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would like to know who made the call and if it came into his headset, like Drew, run the RPO, but you run it. Or if it was a Drew Lock play, like run the RPO and, you know, use your best judgment, either hand it off or, you know, you run with it. So, but unfortunately, Rich, we we won't know that. But yeah, I, 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 I gotta give I gotta give Drew Lock credit. He didn't go out there and play the standard Drew Lock that you know we kind of saw the last two times he he jumped in. You know, against the Ravens, he didn't do squat. Against uh, who was it? The the Chargers when he came in, he threw the ball directly where it was supposed to be. So I'm kind of hoping, Rich, that going forward these next three games, that Drew Lock going in as the starter. Unless some by some miracle they decide to start Brett Rippin over Drew Locke, which wouldn't surprise me at this point. Um, but uh, going forward, I do hope that Drew Locke kind of uses this as motivation and maybe just to put down some tape, Rich, because, it, you know, there's been a lot of rumors going around that it's looking more and more likely that Drew Locke is not going to stick around next year as a Bronco. They're, if they don't move him, they're going to try to, you know, trade him or, or what have you. So, uh, yeah, I that- just wanted to say uh, hi to Jay. I haven't seen Jay in here in, in, in some time, so I just wanted to say he- hello. I thank you for, for joining us here uh, on uh, on Broncos Talk. Um, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I mean, Drew, I, I, actually Dave, Dave's chat's now scrolling on us here, but but Dave basically was 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 typing what you were saying, right? So. You guys were, were in, in uh, hold on, here's here's the dad pun, in lockstep um, with one another in terms of what you guys were, uh, what you guys were saying, where, you know, it was pretty hard to ignore the spark that you saw from Drew Locke when he came on the field and, and stepped in. Now, this is the interesting thing. Again, that was another thing that seems to have gotten lost on a lot of people because of that one bad play is everyone kept on saying in the last game, remember the last couple of games when Drew had to step in for Teddy, oh, Locke came in, he stunk it up, he didn't add a spark, he kind of looked unprepared, et cetera, et cetera. Well, did we, see, we didn't see that this game. He came in and it was like, you know, a fire was lit. We saw passes down the field. We saw a lot of the things that I've spoken about and you have spoken about on the show, which is Locke was able to have, because he has a little bit more of a zip on the ball. He's got kind of got that that kind of like laser style of, of the way he throws the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Again, Davis was making a comment that Locke seems to maybe rely a little bit too much on his arm strength because he's got it. 
Well, that's what allowed him to make some of those throws. He was able to beat the defenders and the wide receivers down the field, midfield, the even um, even some of the uh, tight end throws that he was able to make were as a result of his arm strength and his ability to throw the ball quickly and get it to where it needs to go without floating it. Whereas Teddy sometimes has a tendency to float the ball and uh, the defenders are able to get there, bat it down, or make it uh, too difficult of a catch for the receivers or even tight ends to make. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm crossing my fingers, Rich, and I'm really hoping that, you know, Drew Locke kind of finds that spark. And, you know, there's a little bit more pressure when you're going in as a starter versus when you're coming in as the backup, because especially if the opposing team has never seen you play for one, which is what most the advantage that most backup quarterbacks have. And, you know, two going into if you do go from backup to starter in one week that you kind of still have that surprise element to, you know, in your pocket. But for Drew Locke, you know, he was a backup not by his choice, but because of the you know, quote unquote competition. So these next three games against Vegas and the Chargers are they're winnable. And the Chiefs one, it's looking more and more winnable, especially if the Chiefs unfortunately do win another division title, because it's more than likely gonna be that the Chiefs start uh, you know, they play their second and third stringers. And if Denver's in a position where, you know, it's, uh, you know, sink or swim, not to mention needing some more help uh, in, in the schedule to, you know, get a playoff spot in, then that's looking more and more unlikely as well. So it's it's pretty much Pat Shermer and Drew Locke's, uh, you know, season to, to, to win. And with both of these guys kind of staring down the barrel in terms of not being here next season because, you got to believe that George Payton was, I wouldn't, I, I want to say pissed off, but not happy with the way things went down this past Sunday and losing to a team like the Bengals, especially after, you know, the Broncos were all hyped up and, you know, going in with such emotion after that uh, game against the Lions. And hopefully they can find that spark, Rich, and not just find it, but keep it and, you know, just ride the hell out of it going forward. So the one thing I do want to uh, bring up just before we go in uh, to uh, everyone's uh, favorite uh, tiered segment uh, is the one thing I I do want to call out here is we started to see a lot more use out of the tight ends in this game. And I think that was something that we really do need to call out. And uh, it's about time. Now, it, it took forever and a day for them to get involved. And it was almost like it was the only option, so therefore they were used. But I really think that this, the proper schemes and, and plays should be called in order for them to be successful. And what really killed uh, killed me on the tight end plays is the game before, George Kittle absolutely just destroyed the Bengals. I mean, destroyed them. I think it was like 100 and, almost 160 yards and a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so you, you've seen the team just before you lay the blueprint of getting tight ends involved and San Francisco really only has one to speak of. You have three. So, I mean, what an embarrassment of riches that you have to work with at the tight end position. Saubert can catch the ball and block. Fant can catch the ball and block. He's done way better blocking these past four, three or four games. Needs to be given credit there. Albert O can both catch and block. So you can literally interchange these three tight ends any which way you choose. And instead you end up with where we were at. I mean, to me, that's that's just, un, that is inexcusable. Where were those short crossers to the tight ends? Where were those quick kind of breakouts where the tight ends were just kind of between where the linebackers were on the D line or even just past the linebackers? Where were those types of plays that would allow you to throw to a tight end in space or even just throw to a tight end where we saw a couple of those throws in the flat just past the uh, outside uh, linebackers? that could get the tight ends involved schemed tight end throws not just incidental and you know i guess that'll work Mm -hmm. and with that being said guys we're going to head into the second part of our segment which is what's it called rich the the the, the, the mile high mountain oh yeah all right i hope you like the voice that was that was me yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know pretty well yeah so i i I nailed that high note right um so i just wanted to i I wasn't gonna go in and uh and go right into my uh mile high mountain uh for everyone here Uh, again anyone who is joining us live thank you very much and if you have your mile high mountain picks 
we break it down into four categories, uh, two at the top, two at the bottom. We have uh, the summit. We have the on the rise. We have at the base camp and on the played ride home, which is just, you know, we'd rather not have them on our team. Uh, for that particular game, at least. Uh, so my at the summit was Tim Patrick. Uh, I, I've lost count the number of times that I was praising him in our group chat over the game, guys. Uh, I, I was super, super impressed with how Patrick played today, or this or rather this past game. I thought he had a number of really good blocks. I thought he had uh, several great catches, and he showed uh, far better effort than he has uh, in some of the other games where he hasn't really run some of those deep routes particularly well. And uh, that catch uh, was incredible. I can absolutely uh, forgive him for that uh, pointing, taunting pedally. In fact, I saw one guy on Twitter put that as his phone background. Uh, high five <laughs> and, 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 and top marks on that one. Uh, that, was, that was spectacular. I, I too might be lifting that same idea and applying it to, to my phone. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so uh, great, great job on that one. And congratulations to Tim for making uh, the summit. Uh, my on the rise player. And this is a guy that I've been looking at uh, and, and really, really excited about seeing him progress the way he has. That is Baron Browning. He was all over the field uh, in that game. Uh, especially in the early stages of that game where he was literally setting the tone in terms of the run game and stopping it for the Denver Broncos. I thought Baron Browning also held up fairly well considering he's a rookie in terms of the wear and tear as a long season like this at the NFL level will will have its toll on a younger player like that that's still learning kind of how to deal with the aches and pains of dealing with the long season like the NFL. Baron Browning was my on-the-rise player, and I am super excited to see where this guy goes. And uh, for those that are necessarily overly critical of Fangio, um, I don't know if you picked up on some of the pressers and stuff like that, but uh, we have seen Bear Browning literally almost go on a bit of a vertical curve in terms of his uh, growth uh, as a player. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Vic Fangio and the defensive coaching staff that we have. And I think we, we really do need to give credit where credit's due in terms of who we have on the defensive side of the ball. My at the base camp is Lloyd Cushenberry. This was a difficult one because I had several offensive linemen that I really wanted to put there. And uh, I do want to give an honorable mention to um, Garrett Bowles, uh, who decided to pull out of his back pocket one of his vintage performances where he ended up having multiple flags uh, that game. Garrett Bowles did not play particularly well at left tackle for us that game. However, I did feel that most of the pressure and some of the hesitation that we started to see from Teddy Bridgewater was caused as a direct result of pressure that came straight up the middle from Lloyd Cushenberry. And I saw Cushenberry giving uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke in some instances high fives as he was getting pushed back. So that to me is unacceptable. And that will also be one of my positions I think we need to look at in this upcoming offseason. And on the plate right home for the second or third consecutive week for me, I don't know, I've lost count, is Pat Shermer. Um, you, you, you can't scheme the NFL that way. Uh, I've never been a fan of Pat Shermer. Uh, as soon as we hired him, my first comment was he's averaged somewhere in the mid to low 20s in terms of his offensive rankings since he's been in the NFL. Uh, with our Denver Broncos, this might be one of his better years, and that's not saying much because we haven't produced very much. So I, I think Pat Shermer just simply needs to go. I think he's an awful offensive coordinator, shows zero innovation, and does not adjust his offense to fit the players he has on the roster. And frankly, at the offensive side of the ball, that is something that is required given the fact that skill position and offensive linemen have varying skill sets, so you need to adjust accordingly. So that's my Mile High Mountain. All right. That was very informative, Rich. Uh, I guess for mine, uh, there were so many players and people, I just kept moving them and shuffling them around, as I told Richie earlier today. And uh, for me, the top of my summit was, I have to say, and I'm going to change it up on you, Rich, uh, Patrick Sertan. I felt that he played an amazing game. He kept Jamar Chase at bay held him to probably his lowest amount of yardage for for Jamar Chase this season. So, uh, you know, he didn't give up any big plays. And usually every Bengals highlight, if it doesn't start with Jamar Chase, it usually ends up with him being right. one. And it kept Joe Burrow at bay from, you know, him just chucking the ball up in the air and, and you know, doing that. So uh, I give credit to him for that. Uh, on the rise for me, uh, Tim Patrick, of course, finally starting to play and getting that money. And, you know, as much as we like to blame the wide receivers, uh, if, if the quarterback doesn't throw them the ball, 
it's just kind of you know that that's that's gonna happen you know so but thankfully timmy p is the kind of guy if you just throw him the ball and watch him go to work that's the guy he's always been uh for the bottom of the summit for me it's the uh, the entire offensive line i felt like uh oh thank you johnny he only had one reception for three yards which is awesome thank you and uh, for me the entire offensive line i kind of felt that they took one giant step back i mean rich and i can sit here and nitpick you know who did what you know garrett Bowles, lloyd cushionberry reisner and and whatnot but and and granted the broncos aren't every single game for the broncos isn't going to be perfect per se but uh you know it could have been better the broncos offensive line has seen better days unfortunately this is this isn't one of them so this goes back to you know if uh, that whole offensive line needs to work as one unit if even one part is not working right and it's a defensive line can just cave that in no matter how good your outsides and your guards are so unfortunately that all starts with cushionberry and he, he probably takes most of the blame for me on that one aside from you know the guards and the tackles and on the plane ride home for me it's it's just it's pat Shermer. And you you can you can give him a buddy pass with uh, uh, <laughs> Tom McMahon as well. But to me, Pat Shermer still not being able to transition from one quarterback to another, not using his tight ends effectively, and not using Jerry Judy. I mean, Jerry Judy was just running. There was one play where Judy was wide open. All Teddy Bridgewater had to do was just throw him the ball. But because uh, Bridgewater doesn't always go through his routes. He just kind of, and which is weird to say because you usually see Bridgewater holding the ball a lot longer than he should. And for some reason, he missed uh, Jerry Judy on that wide open play. But aside from that, Shermer has not been using Judy to his, you know, to his strengths. He hasn't been using him at all. Uh, so to to me, he's starting to wear out his. If it's not if it's not starting, that seat is like got to be totally burned, where he doesn't even have a leg to stand on in terms of a future here with Denver Rich. So that's my uh, high mountain. <laughs> I, I, I like those. I, I think that uh, many of those are... Do what, do what I think what most Broncos countries really annoyed at right now is most of the issues that we seem to have, most of them are pretty obvious and most of them can be rectified in relative short order. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why so many are so frustrated is that you look at what we have and you know that you can or should do better and you're not using guys the right way you're not scheming things to fit guys strengths and all of that is just so fixable and that is why so many people are so frustrated and i and i think that that's why there's kind of a a, a lot of um I'll just call it like shotgun blame where people are just firing off and just kind of like, you know, I hate this guy. This guy's not doing well. This guy's not doing this. This guy's not doing this. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that we recognize that so much of what our issues are on the team are fixable. And yet we're getting really annoyed that they're just not being corrected and, uh, and, and feel that there's a bit of a lack of accountability for not, not correcting them. And, and I don't, I don't think it's appropriate or fair that we put all of the blame uh, at the feet of Vic Fangio. Uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with just, it's kind of a jumbled mess right now where we know new owners are coming in. We know that George Payton is a first year GM and he's basically answering directly to, to Elway uh, Ellis. And that relationship is kind of weird. So I, I just think at the end of the day, we need, we just need a, a, a definitive and, and delineated hierarchical structure of, of who reports to who and who does what. And then we can start, you know, pointing fingers in the right, in the right place. And hopefully Dove Valley can get that fixed. Very much agreed, Rich. And unfortunately, guys, we are on a bit of a tight schedule, so uh, we are. Do you want to just jump right in and uh, and show uh, the good friend of the show, uh, Captain Jack Rackham, to give us the Raiders Hot Five? Ladies and gentlemen, the Raiders Mile High Five presented to you by the Mile High Roundtable Network. Well, hello, everybody out there in Bronco land. You know me. I'm Captain Jack Rackham. Make sure you watch my shows at Captain Jack Rackham on YouTube. You're always welcome because we have hot takes. Now, for all the folks out there for the Mile High Report, got to talk about the game coming up. It's Broncos at Raiders. 
It'd be a great Christmas present for the Broncos for you guys to win. But we want to put some coal in your stocking. So let's talk about what the Raiders need to do to make sure that you go out to Vegas and leave unhappy, aside from all the money you're going to be losing gambling. First thing, throttle Drew Locke. It's unfortunate that the Broncos are going to be without their star quarterback this week as the regular quarterback is in concussion protocol. And I never wish ill upon anybody, but again, him being out means that Drew Locke is your quarterback. And I'm not sure who's behind him, but get ready. Al Davis always said, the quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. The Raiders need to throttle Drew Locke. Now, they did that the first time that Drew Locke played in Vegas last year without any fans. Hopefully, they can do it again this year. By the way, there will be a lot of Bronco fans out in Vegas because the opposing fans have been filling the stadiums. Second, the running game. And that's on both sides of the ball. The Raiders need to stop the good Broncos running game. They got a great tandem with Gordon and Williams. They need to stop. Gordon and Williams. uh, The Broncos are keeping those guys fresh and they're getting a really good push on the running game with your running backs. The Raiders need to stop that run. On the flip side, the Raiders need to run the ball. My goodness, the Raiders haven't had a really good consistent running attack in all of these games that we've lost. So the Raiders need to run the ball. Peyton Barber has been coming on to spell Jacobs. That is a good combination. I would have loved to have had the gentleman that we lost, uh, Kenyon Drake, but that's beside the point. Alec Ingold's out too. So run the ball if you're the Raiders. Stop the run if you're the Raiders defense. Third thing. Hey, Derek Carr, find another receiver other than Renfro. I know it used to be third in Renfro, but now it's first, second, and third in Renfro. Find another receiver. I know Waller has been one of your guys that's been missing, and we uh, have not been as potent of an offense without Darren Waller. Not sure if he's going to play, but my money is he's probably not. The Raiders need to find another receiver other than Hunter Renfro. Edwards has stepped up, especially in the first half against the Browns, so they need to make sure they keep finding him. Zay Jones has been pretty much on a milk carton. Don't see him. And the Raiders need to find that deep threat that they have with Deshaun Jackson. They need to make sure that Deshaun Jackson is available. And by the way, they've been using Jacobs out of the backfield better, so we need to continue that. There's more receivers on this team other than Hunter Renfro. And while we're talking about things that we need to do, here's another thing. Hey, Derek, why don't you let Marcus Mariota come in for a play? Well, it's actually not on Derek's fault. It's the offensive coordinator. Hey, Greg Olson, you got Marcus Mariota. Why don't you use him more often? At least show him. Give the Broncos defense something to think about. The Broncos defense is great. I will say that again. The Broncos defense is great. Marcus Mariota needs to be in there just to show him a little something. Use Marcus Mariota. You don't have to run him all the time. You can get a handoff. What I'd really like to see is a pass from Marcus Mariota. That'd be fantastic. Really throw you guys for a loop. And finally, if you're the Raiders, no more doldrums. My goodness. So many games the Raiders have spotted people 14 points. I know that they spotted the Garglers. That's the team in Los Angeles, if you're figuring that out. 21 points before they started coming back. Cannot do that against the Broncos. The Broncos are playing a hell of a lot better of late. They can't do that. Again, Teddy Bridgewater is out. Drew Locke is in. The Raiders need to play with a lead. Get out there. Score some points. uh, Make sure that Drew Locke is on his back. Stop the running game. Score points if you're the Raiders. And that's how you win the game if you're the Las Vegas Raiders. Again... I'm Captain Jack Rackham. Find me on YouTube. Also, NFL Nation Live on Wednesdays. I do a show with a referee former in the NFL. We talk about the NFL. We would love to have you on. Captain Jack Rackham on my YouTube channel and NFL Nation Live. We'll see you out there, folks. Great talking to you. Yard from Captain Jack. Enjoy Vegas, except for the three hours.
with your empty <laughs> well, oh, you I gotta love like this he's, he's awesome. So uh, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Captain Jack has, has me on his podcast a fair amount, and uh, I consider him a, a good friend, um, even though he is obviously supportive of the enemy. But uh, he's a great guy. He does know his stuff. Uh, we'll have to work on on him correcting both our network's name and um, Broncos country, but I can I can work on that over time. And uh, I just want to thank him again for, for coming on and giving uh, us uh, his hot five. I did think some of those were really interesting points, though. Um, the one thing he didn't mention, which I think that we need to mention as uh, Broncos country here, is the interior defensive line of the Las Vegas Raiders. We already came off a, we'll call it a challenging loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, and that's me being kind. And we already, and when in our first game against the Las Vegas Raiders, the defensive line really, really gave us fits for the for, from the Raiders. The Raiders are at home, so we're gonna have a lot more crowd noise to contend with as a, as a result of having the Raiders fans being there and, and making some noise. What do you think about the defensive line for the Las Vegas Raiders? And I'm curious what everyone else thinks about the defensive line for the Las Vegas Raiders, just how they uh, gave us fits last game and the challenges we've had with our offensive line. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Max Crosby has always been a handful, Rich, and he seems to be getting uh, almost better and better by the week. So he, it's going to be our, our tackles are not going to be happy to see him uh, again. But this is pretty much a redemption game for Drew Locke, Rich. And I read an article uh, that said that Corlin Sutton kind of seemed broken or out of place playing with Teddy Bridgewater because they didn't really have chemistry. But Drew Locke could be the guy to help him unlock that potential, that potential that we know Corlin Sutton has. Uh, so that would be an amazing thing to see. Now, Corlin Sun did have a drop pass this past week, which is something you rarely see. Two-ish. Yeah, one and a half. The other one, I would say, <laughs> Bender made a play on it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, which is something for you very rare to see. But the thing is, I'll, I would accept that over the fact that he gets targeted, which is something that Corlin Sutton usually doesn't do because he's the kind of wide receiver that, you know, draws out double coverage. And if you have one wide receiver that draws out double coverage, then that should open up the lanes for your other guys like Tim Patrick, uh, you know, Jerry Judy. And unfortunately, if he was still healthy and we had him here this season, KJ Hamler, you know, just basically the, the, the speed on the opposite side of the line. But for some reason, Pat Shermer just refuses to use his tight ends. He refuses to, uh, to, to make those deep, those deep passes when, when his guys actually run their routes. And sometimes when Bridgewater was the quarterback, he would just hold on to the ball too long. And then, or in Drew Locke's case, he would kind of just break out and run when he didn't really need to because his pocket is still intact. He still had time to throw. So those are the kind of things that kind of worry me going forward. And hopefully Drew Locke can do something about it in regards to, you know, trusting his, his, his offensive line. You know, knowing that trying to figure, actually reading a defense and know when a blitz is coming, you know, to audible out of it and just try to use both of his weapons equally. Use his running backs, you know, don't run them into the ground every single drive versus, you know, using his wide receivers. And if you're going to run an RPO, no more running for you, man. You are not an RPO kind of quarterback. Just hand it off or, or run and throw. But oh, no, the, the running is fine because that means you're handing it off to the running back. The pass option is fine because that means you're throwing the ball in your quarterback. Well, I, I meant it's, him, it's him trying o. to run. It's it's the O that we have an issue with. The yeah. option means he runs. Yeah, he runs. That's, yeah. that, that's got to go. Yeah, that's, that's got to go. <laughs> you are not an option uh, quarterback, Drew. But I, I'm, I'm, like I said at the beginning of the season, Rich, I pull for whoever is behind center, whether it's Locke, whether it's Bridgewater, hell, whether it's freaking Rippin'. And hell, there was one time last year where we didn't have a quarterback. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to, you know, just believe in, in, in I don't want to say in, 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 in dreams, but uh, because at this point it almost feels like a dream and something that in one week feels like a dream and then the other week it feels like a nightmare. Uh, but it, 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 this is just something that Pat Shermer, 
and we keep uh, I, I swear we mentioned that man's name more on this channel that we almost have to feel like we owe him some type of credit <laughs> but he just uh, he, i hope he plays these next three games like somebody tells him hey if you lose this game you're fired tomorrow type of mentality even though we already know he's gonna be fired but hopefully he goes in playing with that type of mentality so that way he can try to bring out the best in these guys going down the home stretch rich because with every single win another team gets the broncos playoff hopes they just shrink with another loss it's pretty much gone so these guys need to go out and play their last two games especially on the road which with which doesn't really help us in either way uh, just it, it makes a comeback just that much harder so so the one thing that um the, the broncos can do to to loosen up a team that is rushing the passer is by leveraging the rush against them so i i don't know if if we all remember back that far i mean a full five ish years now but peyton manning used to have several plays within the offensive playbook um one of which where the running back would run and block and then would would kind of drop his block and and loop and round the set uh, the, the either the linebacker coming up the middle or defensive end or defensive tackle and then loop around and be you know just a few yards past the line of scrimmage and then kind of have Peyton kind of just lob him the ball just kind of a like just a, a quick little arc over the top of the uh, defensive lineman to the running back and then what also allowed the counter to that was you ended up with a tight end that kind of did a shallow crosser, which was just between where the in behind where the um, uh, defensive line was between the linebackers and defensive line. And because uh, tight ends have such a height mismatch and size mismatch, generally speaking, with linebackers, especially, and this is uh, Shermer, um, this would drive me nuts, is especially when you have a guy like Albert O and Noah Fant, who are both size mismatch, speed mismatch, and height mismatch. You literally have the trifecta in not one, but two. And I'm going to go as far as saying Sauber, because we saw him do this in the preseason as well. So you have three tight ends on your roster without even having to think about it who can break away and cut as a shallow crosser, that kind of quick shallow cross route that, don't you remember Dreesen and some of our other tight ends when Manning was here that would run that kind of cross right across the uh, the field there and then Manning would hit them in stride and then we were good? Mm -hmm. Where did that route go? A guy like Drew Locke can make that throw. A guy like Bridgewater can make that throw. And then that forces the defensive backs to help come, come forward to help block that play. And you can open up longer passing plays down the field. And then you can also use that to try and loosen the running game because you're going to force guys to follow the tight end position. So if you let the plays develop a little bit longer, you can start running to the opposite side where that tight end is drawing guys away. But I mean, we got to stop with this nonsense that we're doing right now on the offensive side of the ball because at some point, well, sorry, we're already at that point, but it is it is our offense that is losing us these games, not our defense. Yeah, I mean, they the offense has got to step up. Uh, the defense, and that that gives that says a lot to the defense, Rich, because as we said at the beginning of the show, you know, we only went in with one of our with one of our starting safeties. The other half was just somebody that the Broncos literally picked up a day or two before, uh, whenever that went through. So the the defense they're doing their part. They're going out there and they're getting the stops. They're getting you know they're preventing as much damage being done. You know, one touchdown uh, a game, Rich, is is not bad at all. It's really good. And hell, if you can hold them to a shutout or a field goal or two, you know, the more the better. So it's just the fact that we need to make, we need to see or hope that the offense can finally play catch up with the defense. Which I actually think is interesting because for the, at the early stage of the year, our defense it's almost like we tried a bunch of different things on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of landed on what worked. And, and since then, from that point forward, if I'm not mistaken, I think for the last... Someone can jump into the chat if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. Five to six games now, we have held our opponents to under 17 points or under 20 points. I can't remember which two it was, but it, I'm pretty sure it's been under 20 points for the last five to six games. And the fact that we haven't won all of those, it, it just blows my mind. 
blows my mind. Yeah, so, you know, some of the keys to the game in, in terms of trying to win this game here, Rich, is just basically the defense making Derek Carr uncomfortable. And if it's one thing we learned from the last game, Rich, when we kind of, I'll admit, everybody in Broncos country got really cocky going forward because they had just lost their head coach. They had just lost their, uh, you know, one of their best wide receivers. So the game looked like it was, it should have been the cinch, but it was totally the contrary. So the Broncos have to go into this game just not expecting this to be a, a cakewalk. In other words, they, you know, division games are usually never cakewalks. They're usually some of the most hardest games for any team to play, which is why they're so much more competitive. And, you know, you see that on the field. That's what you see guys, you know, shoving and, and, pat and pushing and all that. And sometimes it's, it's really not good because that's how you get, you know, you draw a flag. But the Broncos have to go in there with their emotions in check for one. And two, they have to realize that their backs are, are up against are against the wall. And it just basically, we got to avoid getting swept uh, or yeah, getting swept. So, you know, last year we got swept by the Raiders and we got swept by the Chiefs. And we broke one and one with with Los Angeles with the Chargers. So if we can break one and one with the Raiders and break another one on one with each of these three teams and avoid getting swept, I think that that would go a long way in you know boosting morale with with the Broncos, especially if we can get some help from whatever needs to happen these next uh, three weeks in terms of you know playoff positioning and teams getting eliminated as we go forward. Unfortunately, the teams getting eliminated so far are teams that are not doing any favors for for us but unfortunately rich we're not doing any favors for ourselves either by not winning the games that we're supposed to and beating the Bengals was definitely one of those games that we should have won yeah that was that was a big one for us that was a winnable game our defense certainly made it a winnable game and yet we didn't win it right so i mean mm -hmm. that, that that's really a, a huge thing um so i'm gonna i'm gonna try and put uh, you on the spot a little bit here and then i'm gonna get into it um as well what are three things that you think that we need to do differently in this game that we did not do well uh, against the Bengals? What do we need to do to win? Uh, basically, we just need to make sure that, you know, we run the ball. We already seen what we have in Javante and uh, Melvin Gordon. Hopefully he's feeling a whole lot better. Uh, but basically, uh, the biggest thing is, like I said earlier, not take the Raiders for granted. Uh, like we did before and we're getting a different quarterback we're starting a different quarterback this time it's not bridgewater it's it's drew lock so drew lock has some experience in playing the raiders more than, than bridgewater has in his career if i'm not mistaken so uh there's there's that advantage but basically for the offensive side it's just the turnovers the turnovers have got to stop these boneheaded plays has have got to stop and it's just basically it just basically needs to if we i'll settle for just one because as much as i'd like to say go sit here and tell you guys that i don't want none that's kind of i feel like that's uh far-fetching at this point but basically we just need to stop the raiders momentum uh somebody yesterday said that you know Derek carr has has been known to be like that fourth quarter quarterback where you know when it's when the team's in a pinch or in a bind He's able to, you know, get that yardage necessary, especially if it's just a need to win by a field goal. So that's just basically what the Broncos need to do. This needs to be a statement game, Rich. And by beating the Raiders, the Broncos kind of seal the fate for them as well in terms of knocking them, uh, their playoff hopes out of, you know, out of range. And it's just making it that much harder for them. And it gives us momentum going forward against the Chargers because I'm pretty sure the Chargers are going to be in a playoff contention spot as well. So they're going to be playing uh, to their best content and trying to, you know, get revenge and playing that week one. So uh, just basically Drew Locke, uh, you know, limit the turnovers. I do love the fact that, you know, he's not afraid to throw the ball, which is something that I've always admired from him. You know, he goes for the, the throws from the tight ends and his wide receivers. He's not afraid to throw the ball. But and the, on the other hand, Drew's got to learn to trust his pocket. If, you're, if, you're, if your offensive line is giving you time in the pocket to throw, you got to take advantage of it. Don't scramble unless you absolutely need to. And if you do, ball security, clutch that ball in. Don't, don't try to do no fake while you're running. Uh, I know uh, throwing while he was on the run last year was a big thing for him as well. 
So hopefully he can keep that under uh, check as well. So my big ones are offensive line. So this is kind of where I push back a little bit on where we're a quarterback away um, from, from, from just in general uh, is uh, we have an issue at right tackle. Uh, we have had some challenges at left guard and we definitely have a big challenge at offensive center. So I think if we're going to meet that offensive challenge, uh, especially when you're dealing with a guy like Max Crosby, you have Ngakwe, you have, a, uh, you have there's two other guys. I think Abrams is another guy that they have in the Raiders. And then there's there's another guy, which I can't remember the name of. Um, but again, they have several on the interior of the defensive line that can cause us fits. Our offensive line is an issue, has been an issue most of the season. And that's part of the reason why we've had some struggles against the AFC North. Uh, we've lost the gamut there. Um, and that's a problem for us. So we need to have that toughness. We need to start showing that we can... We can hang with guys like that because if we ever want to make our way into the playoffs, uh, we have to get through them and we have to beat them and we have to be able to win that style of football. And uh, and that's an important one for me. The other one is going to be uh, the offensive decisions. So as well as I thought Drew generally played last game, I saw some major improvements. Um, in the group chat, I actually made some comments about how I felt that Drew Locke was continuously throwing behind the receiver. I actually rewatched the game shortly after, and I'm going to regret, I'm going to pull back a little bit on some of my comments. Drew, in my opinion, was about a 50 50, which is as awful as it sounds, an improvement for him. <laughs> um, and he was leading some of his receivers on some of the throws in that game. And uh, for example, um, Cortland Sutton, uh, he led that pass. Sutton couldn't get out to, to get it. Uh, in my opinion, that was a bit of a pass interference, but it is what it is. Uh, but Drew Locke was starting to show some progress as it pertains to leading receivers. The pass to Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick just seems to catch everything, even though that pass was thrown a little bit behind him, but he still caught it for the touchdown. Drew needs to continue to lead receivers, lead tight ends, etc., on throws, which throws which shows rather anticipatory throws as opposed to, oh, geez, you're open, and now I'm going to throw it to you. That was a, a big issue for Drew Locke last year. We need to see him improve on that. And last but not least, um, we need to start seeing continued interior defensive line pressure for, for Derek Carr. Derek Carr is not a mobile quarterback by any means. Uh, however, uh, as a result of that, you need that interior pressure. So that's the uh, two defensive ends and the uh, nose tackle tackle or defensive tackle. You need that straight push up the middle to throw Derek Carr off to the right or to the left. That helps guys like the angry aviator. That helps Jonathan Cooper, uh, as well as Malik Reed if he shows back up again, and Bradley Chubb. That helps get those sacks from those outside linebackers uh, and also throws him off his first read, which also helps our secondary uh, look better, uh, although they've looked pretty good this year, even just by making plays on their own. And uh, by the way, I, I love your pick on Sertain because I think he did play really well against Chase. Mm -hmm. uh, so as we get uh, getting ready to wind things down, Rich, your final score prediction for this game. Um, I think this game has the possibility of getting out of hand in our favor, uh, based on how the Raiders have played uh, recently. Um, although it's a division rival, so I'm going to tone it down a little bit. Uh, I think that this one is going to be a 31-24 win or a 27-21 win for the Broncos. Yeah, I'm going to go 17-14 Broncos. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna hope that I'm wrong in terms of, uh, you know, the offense. But uh, it's just... You can't count out Derek Carr as much as I, I'd like to say we shut him out. And if we do, the better. But I, I have a feeling that this is going to be a close game. So 17 to 14 is is my prediction here, Rich. Yeah. And my score is as, as high as it is because I believe our defense gets a turnover. Huh. I actually think that we actually get a, a turnover and, and some form of a defensive, you know, a defensive offensive play, if you will. So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's one thing that does happen. Our defense has just been playing so well. I mean, just so, 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 so well that I, I think that that's a, a real and legitimate possibility. It may even be something to the effect of uh, what we saw against the Detroit Lions, where it's a defensive play, but it turns into an offensive touchdown, 
where we force Jacobs to fumble the ball, but then we kind of get it in short field and then our offense turns it around. But either way, that's why I have the score where I do, because I, I believe that we can start getting some of those turnovers or short fields as a result. Yeah, I so heartily agree. But guys, that's going to have to do us do it for us today. We do apologize for being it a little bit shorter than usual, but unfortunately there are NFL games going on and you know, it is Christmas week. So uh, guys, thank you for the bottom, from the bottom of our hearts for joining in and joining us tonight. Uh, everybody in the chat watching us live. Thank you guys so much to all our listeners who listen to us on audio after the fact, make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. Give us five star ratings on Apple podcast, Google, Amazon, uh, anchor, wherever it is you guys listen to us. Uh, you know, and feel free to send us messages on there wherever you want comments. We always love to read them, especially on YouTube, Rich. And sometimes I go and re uh, scroll down the videos. And if we see comments, you know, we reply as best as we can. Uh, so going forward about the, the special announcement I had, guys, the Nothing Rhymes with uh, Orange and Blue podcast will not air this Friday due to it being Christmas Eve. But don't be sad, guys, because Johnny and Isaiah will be on the MHRT podcast this Thursday, along with Mr. Boggins and the Glenn Hauser. So make sure you guys hit that like button and subscribe and make sure you tune in and join them here on the MHRT network on Thursday at 7654. And of course, as always, if you love the content that Rich and I put out for you on Broncos Talk every single Tuesday at 7654. After the holidays, the Nothing Rhymes with Orange and Blue podcast will be back at its regular time on Fridays at 7654. And as, of course, as always, the pregame show, The Neighborhood, there's only three episodes left, guys, which airs just before every single Broncos game. So make sure you guys don't miss a single episode of it because otherwise you'll have to wait until September for an all-new season. That's so assuming we don't make the playoffs, right? Yeah, that's assuming we don't make the playoffs. If we do make the playoffs... It's it can, it's like extra credit, you know. It's like an, uh, a late a late Christmas gift, uh, right. what have you. So, uh, before we go, Rich, are you ready to do the favorite part of the show? I have to say, get the stretches out, guys. If you're at home, please join us in doing it with us. Rich, are you ready? I'm good. Here we go. My high five. <laughs> Woo! I, I blame the delay between Canada and the USA because I don't think we'll ever be in sync because of that. Well, it's, it's, it, look, you, you cannot have two of the tallest guys in the entire podcast try to sync up arm length. I'm sorry. That's just not cool. <laughs> oh, guys. But anyways, for Richie Rich, I'm Adan Diaz. Have a good night, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll see you guys next week. Go Broncos. That's right. Go Broncos.